I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show and I must confess to you there were many there I knew. Welcome to The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about goats and hell and other stuff. Mostly goats. Mostly goats. With me this week are my co-hosts, Victoria. Hello. Jamin. Oh, hello. (laughs) And I am Jacob, and this is episode 70 of The Dispatchist, Goats Go to Hell. Oh, poor goats. Some of them come back. That's distressingly true i guess like pet cemetery pet dairy i don't know you know what if there's a way we could play ghosts kiss the go goat somewhere in here that would be delightful i'll use like six seconds of it for our outro i think that might be allowed i think so Uh, it's for academic purposes yes yes goats uh okay um so before we begin the goat fest does anybody have anything they're bringing to the party I've got several things, or two things. Ooh. When I say several, I mean two things. Sure. Two can be several. No, wait, no. No, it can't. Both of those several things are going to be probably terrifying. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I you actually, <laughs> one is, they're both great. They're both great. But one I'll save until after everybody shares their other stuff, but. It's going to be toes. No, there's no toes. This is, this is, I promise, this is songs. Sans French toes. <laughs> what is French for toes? Je suis um, toe. <laughs> Je suis toe. I don't know. So I have a drink. Okay. It's called the Capricorn. Of course. Oh, nice. Very good mm-hmm. choice. I'm I'm excited. I find I I feel like I've learned a lot about Cap, uh, the Capricorn, and this is courtesy of Martha Stewart. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> and I know she can like knock back a bottle and get down, but it's true. Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe she's a Capricorn, but she's not. So the description here is, and I'm, I'm going to try to do a bad Martha Stewart uh, impersonation. Champagne becomes a, that doesn't sound like Martha Stewart, does it? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like her after the champagne. Champagne becomes even more festive when it's served in a flute crowned with citrus laced sugar. Um, so that was my Martha Stewart impersonation. So and does roast beef. <laughs> <laughs> roast beef. Everything's festive. Citrus glazed sugar. With rimmed mm. with citrus glazed sugar or citrus lace. So this has two tablespoons sugar, two uh, teaspoons finely grated kumquat zest. Oh. Plus different. one kumquat slice. Okay. Rosé champagne chilled. Nice. And okay. You put the sugar and zest, combined sugar and zest, wet rim of a champagne glass, coat rim and sugar mixture, drop kumquat slice in glass and fill with champagne. Sounds kind of fruity and champagne-y. Yeah. Am I I wrong? Okay. It's It's surprisingly not objectionable. If something something has kumquat zest in it, is it zesty? Like, by definition? the kumquats are like, you know, not on the acidic side, right? They're kind of Yeah, more... they're kind of... You can eat the peel, right? You can eat I them whole. So. Okay. I haven't I can, tried. Not in a while. I, I thought yeah. they were small and tart. Kumquats? No, that's me. That's some other quat entirely, perhaps. Pluquat? Loquats are, are delightfully apricot I love them. 
Oh, I love, yeah, I love apricots. Wait, apricots are one of my favorite things. In the old front yard, right? Yes. You could eat those whole too. Well, they have large seeds in them. Loquats? Like, Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. They're little tiny apricot-like things that grow wild all over town. Yeah, I've never, there are all sorts of things that I don't recall the taste of. Oh. That sounded so <laughs> tragic. Like that's the first line of my memoir. Because there are so many things that I forgot the taste of. <laughs> I forgot the taste of loquats. You should you should actually write that down and really, say okay. for my future memoir because that really is such a good line. Okay, I'm gonna write that down. So while you're doing that, I bought also classy treats. Do you remember the taste of White Castle? Yes. Yes. Okay. They have. White Castle Tots, Ooh. little tiny White Castle mini sliders oh. that are, you know, thumb sized. I want all of them. That come in a bag. I got you some. I gave them to you and I'm waiting for you to make them and feed them to me. Please. That's a special kind of gift. <laughs> uh, I brought uh, some entertainment. Mm. Yes. Is it toes? No, it's being devoured by a soul-swallowing tusked demon as the Holy Mother watches. Whoa! Yeah, I like it when Mary gets in and stares. Just stares. (laughs) Theotokos voyeurism right there. What did you say? What about, what was the first, what what words did you say before voyeurism? Theotokos. Theotokos? Theo. Theotokos. So that's smoking... While reading religious studies. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Okay. <laughs> no, what does it mean? It's something about religion. Theotokos was the mother of God. Um, and there's this region of Greece, which is called like the Theotokos Mountains. Okay. Gotcha. Did not know this. Um, wow. I have some hell news. Oh. Okay. Okay. I'm excited. I don't know. Well, to me, it's, I, I don't know if it's news so much as something really, really cool. So when I went to see Ghost, uh, this Viking band, Swedish Viking band called Amon Amarth yes. opened. They're awesome. <laughs> they're I didn't so know they awesome. were there. They're really, they're, they're intense. They're intense. They had giant Vikings flanking the stage. And then at one point they had a sea serpent, oh. uh, this inflatable sea And a dude came out and fought the sea serpent. Another point, two dudes came out and fought each other. And then another dude fought what looked to be cramp, looked like Krampus. So... They were hilarious and awesome. Oh, neat. I, I really like them a lot. I like the pageantry. Yes. <laughs> I was like, man, you guys know how to put on a show. So they have a song called Hydron, which is about... Do you know who this is? Hydron? Hydron. No. So this is the goat that eats the leaves of a very important tree that I was going to mention later. The loquat. <laughs> yes, it's the leaves of the loquat tree, and her she's a goat who eats the leaves, and her milk becomes the mead that the Vikings drink in Valhalla. Okay, that's not okay. how milk works. So, uh, but the, the the best part of this is that they have you know the the actual version of that, but mm-hmm. then they have one with some very special guest vocalists. And do you want to know what those guest vocalists are? Ghost. No. uh, You're very close. What sounds like ghost? Goats. Toes. Yes. Yes. So they have uh, 
goat vocals. They have a version with goat vocals. So you can actually, <laughs> it is so great. You can actually look it up. Am I wrong in saying goats just scream? They managed to, to actually carry a tune here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you have a hundred goats screaming in a room, eventually you're going to get an Amon Amarth song. <laughs> it's, really, it's really about the fingering. <laughs> an infinite number of monkeys and an infinite number of typewriters. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're going to have all the works of Shakespeare. So it is called Hydran uh, Goat Remix. So look it up and we'll play you a couple of seconds of it. I have some other hell news, which uh-huh. is less melodic, perhaps, but still an audio product. That is the design podcast, 99% Invisible. Uh, you might be familiar with them. You have to scroll a little bit lower than us in the rankings to find them. <laughs> Recently, like three days ago, did a episode on the Law Enforcement Guide to Satanic Cults, Ooh. which is a, you know, it's one of the kind of canonical um, satanic panic things in the mix. This is about a videotape that wasn't really widely circulated to the public uh, and just kind of fed the satanic panic and gave it legitimacy that it might not have deserved. And 99% Invisible is such a nice podcast, so I'm looking forward to this one. Mm. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. Oh, should we say what podcast we've also been on or we are going to be on? Oh, yeah. That creates some interesting, like, verb tenses. Um <laughs> I'm all about the verb tenses, baby. We were on the Parapeculiar podcast, which is an Austin podcast, intensely focused on um, ghost hunting and local occult strangeness with some national guests as well. That was pretty fun. Got a chance to talk about ourselves more than we usually do. Hi, Damien. Mm -hmm. Hi, Damien. And Damien uh, is the curator of the paranormal museum that is a part of the Museum of Haunted Artifacts. The Museum of Haunted Artifacts that is part of the Velvet Casket um, here in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Actually, while we're talking about the Velvet Casket, can I, can I plug a thing? Yes, please plug a thing. October 22nd, which is not that far away, depending on mm. when this episode drops, uh, I'm going to be doing a lecturette at the Velvet Casket on uh, selling your soul. Ooh, I'm excited about this one. Yeah. I'm going to have my... Some pre-Halloween fun. Speaking of Halloween, we have another thing to plug. Yeah, if you're local. Yeah, and enjoy going to the carousel. And... Yes. <laughs> enjoy dancing. And enjoy live music. And enjoy not live music. And enjoy, yeah, and enjoy... Uh, Completely uh, canned music <laughs> Enjoy well. bringing in your own liquor. Um, <laughs> will there be goats? I will have horns. I was going to say there might be. It depends on if you are thinking what kind of goat. I'm still working out. So, so we haven't really told you what it is yet, though. No, no, no. <laughs> what is it? We've established that, that Jacob God. is wearing horns. I will be wearing horns, potentially, or some Vic- other similar thing. So, Victoria, what is the name of your band? The name of my band is the New Goulets. And that's spelled G-H-O-U-L-E-T-S. And it is named after our patron saint, Robert Goulet. Excellent. 
Yes. Uh, generally 90s cover? Uh, I would say 80s, 90s, gothy, new wavy, punky stuff. We're going to, this is a goth, uh, goth focused show for Halloween. Right. And it is actually on Halloween at the Carousel Lounge. Mm -hmm. There will be time for dancing. Yes. Open stage, small stage for dancing. Mm -hmm. And what are you doing there, Jacob, besides wearing horns? I'm wearing horns, and I'm going to be DJing as the uh, opening act. Uh, a lot of ha- a lot of Halloween mashups. Yay! Mm-hmm. So it's going to be fun. The carousel is a really uh, great place if you haven't been there before. It is an Austin uh, legend. There are clowns. There are clowns. Oh, there are clowns. Big pink elephant uh, yeah. behind the stage. So so come one, come all. Mm-hmm. The festivities will probably start about 6.30. Excellent. So, and who knows what I'll, I'll, I have to still have to figure out what I'm going to wear. That's the most important part of this. Yeah. Hmm. Is the silver jumpsuit not on the radar anymore? Oh, I do. That, see, that's what I, I, yes, I, I have my silver jacket. I have silver pants. I have silver shoes. I have to figure out what accessories, like, do I want to be a silver rabbit? I think I want to be a silver rabbit. Oh, I see what you're saying. You could be a silver fox or a silver rabbit or a silver... I could be a silver demon. Archimedean screw. <laughs> disco demon. <gasps> I'll be a disco demon. <gasps> disco demon? Now I need to look up something. Hang on just a moment. He's Cocktail typing. Cocktail Archimedean screw. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like like an Archimedean screw would best be utilized in like an absinthe fountain. And it just slowly turns and then drip by drip, it looshes into the... That'd be beautiful. I need to make these and sell them for a lot of money on Etsy. A theory is that it's orange juice and bergamot. Ooh, that sounds really good. So how about we talk about goats? Goats. Goats. Uh, So I want to start off with a short list of awful things about goats. Is that okay? Um, Okay. We can redeem them later. Okay. Okay, okay. So they have creepy eyes. Check. Um, they have, they scream a lot. I love that. There's a, a lot of like fertility myth and stuff around them. Sure. And they can like have, they have kids all year, like constantly. Uh, horns. Mm. Uh, they're kind of stinky, but I think all herbivores are stinky. Mm. Yep. Um, they're really smart. And like as a livestock thing, that is not a feature. I was going to say smart is a bad thing, but no, you're right. You don't want food to be smart right they're about about as smart as dogs and Uh they can they can like pair bond like dogs too and can escape almost anything yeah that is true it's true Mm -hmm. they uh they're good survivors they can eat just about everything Mm -hmm. uh they don't they don't run when they're in danger Uh, but they will will turn and fight and it's Uh extremely easy for them to go feral like only cats go feral faster than goats See, I love goats and I love cats. Oh, mm-hmm. they're not really very similar beyond no. that they don't particularly care about humans that much. Yeah, I, that's their ba- goats are basically cats. I do have fantasies about my cats having tiny little goat horns. <laughs> oh, that would be super adorable. <laughs> they're so cute. Um, ca- ca- can I add one thing? <laughs> one, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I'm finished listing horrible things about goats. Can I tell you the other thing that, that puts goats again? We may not think this is terrible, but goats, as opposed to sheep, have 
something akin to free will, like they're very independent. Yeah. Yeah. They have attitude and yep. make decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can't really, they do, they just do not go along with the flow. They're going to, they're, they're very individualistic and they're kind of free thinkers for lack of a better word. There's, there's still, they can survive in a herd. Like they, mm -hmm. they flock together. Mm -hmm. I guess you could say they don't need to be in a herd, mm -mm. but they can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hmm. they could take it or leave it. Have you seen the videos of the little goats going nutty and like there's one running around and he'll like jump up and knock over the other goats? Aw. <laughs> See, I like that they're just kind of jerks. Yeah. I loved the goat towers. Oh, the goat <laughs> towers was, was uh -huh. so pretty, so cute. Little goats climbing up little towers made for goats. It was adorable. It's mm -hmm. like a ducat, but for goats. Call, call back to the last episode. Do we think uh, goats are dogs? Everything's a dog. Yeah, goats are definitely dogs. And okay. they're definitely crabs. Right. Everything evolves mm -hmm. into a crab at least once. Goats did it twice. You know, we never did a proof on this, like the mathematical proof. Like, if, if a goat is a dog and a crab is a dog... <laughs> <laughs> then oh, is, a, is, a, is a goat a crab? Those SAT like oh, yeah. colon and double colons. Oh. Right, right, right. Goat, and goat also, analogies. Yes, and also the the mathematical proofs that you would have to do in geometry. Uh, well, I want to surprise you. Um, okay. All round hoofed things are horses, <gasps> um, but when you get into split toed hoofed animals, they uh -huh. actually break them down individually. So goats are goats. No, I was just say goats are, bo are bovines. No, goats no. are goats. They're bovines goats. are bovines. Un un ungulates? What is the no. word? It like, starts with a U. Ungulate. Ungulates. Right. But in Zoroastrian land, goats are goats. Llamas are un like Are they, would llamas be considered goats then? Um, if they have split toes, llamas might be considered llamas. I think they do. They have split like, toes. Like this is the one place where they break things down. They don't categorize. Like, oh, that's like, a goat. <laughs> Right. I mean, I think probably as as uh, rancher farmer types, it's good to be specific. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, you know, a goat is not a sheep, for example. No. Right. That's a good example. That's mm -hmm. one of the best examples. I will be coming back to that once or twice. I think I think we will. Okay. So we've established what's bad about goats. Right. Do we need to uh, unpack where this idea came from? Let's start with some ancient history. This will be very, very short. Mm -hmm. And like any academic, <laughs> I had an idea that I wanted to prove and I sought uh -huh. to find research to prove my idea. That's, okay. That's how research works, right? Mm -hmm. did, you, did you know that in the fourth millennia BC, the Egyptians declared a goat to be a pharaoh? I think I've heard that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I made it up, honestly, but I, I thought heard it, was, it just from you. I, I feel like was, that's, I thought it was funny. That's believable. <laughs> yeah, I know. If you say it in a deadpan tone of voice, yeah, uh huh, it becomes scholarship. Because I mean, didn't Caligula he made a horse a general or something? Like um, animals yeah. being given uh, high ranks is not unheard of. It's like it's like the cat who who lives at the British Library, who's like General Mouser. <laughs> yeah, right? and there have been several right. animals that have been mayors of towns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never a goat, though. <laughs> Maybe it's only local government that they're allowed to, or they really yeah. shine as, as after, leaders. After a certain point, you hit like the age limits. Like there can't be a goat president because they don't live to 35. 
Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. really, I'm going to stay out of current politics right now because I'll just get myself in trouble. Shall we start with ancient goats, Jamin? <laughs> so, I kind of had this idea. We went back. Goats are domesticated. And it was like, when were goats domesticated? Thursday. Exactly. Thursday, about 10,000 years ago, 10 to 11,000 years ago, before written history, right? And goats were probably the first animal to be domesticated, and then cows, and then, you know, giraffes or whatever. But goats would fit all the niche, all the needs, right? They're small enough to manage. They're useful. They actually domesticate well. They take dictation. And can live with humans. Um, they provide milk. They fly. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when you're done with them, you eat them. No. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, yeah. just like when your friend has finished serving his purpose. And I was like, okay, this makes sense. Goats were the first animal to be domesticated. It was about 10,000 years ago. And the sources very clearly state, state the first goats to, to be domesticated were in the Zaragatraz Mountains, hmm. east of Iraq. Okay. Mm -hmm. oh. And then almost... Exactly. Four sentences later, it says very clearly, the very first goats to be domesticated were in South Tyrol, France. It's obvious there. And it's like, you guys are just messing with me now. Hmm. But no, it makes sense. Goats were domesticated before cows because cows are big and scary. It's really hard to milk a giraffe. <laughs> and baby giraffe or baby elephants just aren't that cuddly. Yeah, they are. So before we had writing, before we had written stories before we had modern city-based civilization we were domesticating goats i have this i have this theory that if i used you as my textbook i would fail world history <laughs> <laughs> yes uh-huh and uh do you want to say more about that though failing world history i think we're doing that right now <laughs> i think so too i i'm in, i'm intrigued that goats are the like, I feel like I've heard other, like, dogs. Oh, yeah, okay. Thank you. As a, domestica as a domesticated animal, mm -hmm. as a, what's the word I want to say? As, a, as an animal that provides nutrition, mm -hmm. tools, oh, okay. clothing, okay. milk, right? Okay. You use the goat. A commodity. Actually, a commodity, right? Mm -hmm. You eat the goat, you use the goat, you keep the goat, it lives with you, right? Have a goat, take. Leave a goat, need yeah. a goat, take a goat. The internet backs you up on this. Goats, sheep, chickens. Yeah. A chickens kind of makes crabs. sense. Because crabs. <laughs> Milking a crab is so hard. Like, you gotta sit there and squeeze, 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 squeeze. <laughs> okay, so now that we've uh, established that goats were maybe the first commodified animal. Mm. Why are they in constant comparisons to sheep mm -hmm. and also rams? Yeah. Why, if they've been such a big part of human life, are they suddenly vilified? Mm -hmm. I have a lot of, we all have a lot of thoughts on that, I'm sure. But do we need to go to the source for this? Uh, is, is the source Matthew? I think the source, I think, I think we can say a source is Matthew. Yeah, a source is Matthew. So mm -hmm. in the in like Old Testament Jewish Bible Jewish culture, goats are actually pretty okay. They're tasty and they are made as sacrifices to God and he doesn't complain. And uh, you can barbecue a goat for your friend, like that's a traditional thing. 
But in Matthew, Matthew 25, 22, I think, we get finished with a series of stories that Jesus tells about getting ready for the kingdom of God. And then he says that there are sheep and goats, and the goats are on the left hand of God, and the sheep are on the right hand of God. And without really saying why, Jesus then goes on to say that the left hand is bad people who will be sent to hell for their lack of generosity and being jerks. And the right people, the sheep, are going to get into heaven. And this is kind of one of the first instances of Jesus verbally condemning a group of people to hell, which is actually fairly unusual in the Bible. And I think condemning goats to hell is kind of comes from there as well. Like this is a strong place where goats are tied to bad and really evil in this, in this context. So goats go to hell, sheep go to heaven. Stop, film, and discuss. <laughs> so one thing that I do also want to point out is this parable, the uh, graph, um, an artistic representation of this is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, often seen as the first depiction of the devil or Satan in art. Oh, is this the Tile Lucifer picture? Yes, yes. Hmm. The Ravina mosaic from the 6th century. And it's the one where you have Jesus in the center. You have Satan wearing blue. Blue! That's right. We've talked about this mosaic. With the goats. And then I'm not sure who's... I forgot who's on the right. Probably um, Michael, but I think it's a little ambiguous as to whether they're really... Yeah. Whether well, the names are not written under them. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, they don't have like he, him, you know, Satan, he, him underneath. Um, but yeah, so you've got, yeah, you've got the first, uh, allegedly the first depiction of the devil in this too. So aligning de the devil with the goat, as, you know, in the sixth century at least. I, I'm, I'm wondering if it's possible for Christians to see a pair and not make it dualistic. Like, that seems to be a thing that they really want to do, and Matthew's doing it right here. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it necessarily was called for, because, I mean, we're probably invoking the scapegoat Yom Kippur a fair bit in this in this scene, at least kind of alluding to it. Yeah. And, and that's a very different kind of attitude, because the Yom Kippur goats are not binary anything. They're goats. Mm. They're, fact, they're tools. Well, not that, not only that, but the Yom Kippur ritual is very clear that these are ideas identical goats as much as possible. They're both male. Mm -hmm. um, they're both kind of look the same. Um, and, you know, it's flip a coin as to which one goes to Yahweh and which one is sent into the desert carrying the sins of the world. But that's still a utilitarian thing. That's a goat doing a, a good deed in a sense. Like it's not an evil goat. It is carrying all of the sins of the people. But it's taking them away, so that's that's an honored goat. It could have been the sacrifice to Yahweh, and the fact that it is this is the one that's going into the wilderness, I think, is is significant that they are they might as well be brothers. Considering how commonly the idea of brothers as binary pairs turns up. I mean, we had Cain and Abel who were we brothers. Did. We and did. I mean, I know this is a dualistic view, but we had the good one and we had the murderer. Yeah, or actually, actually we had the boring one and we had the murderer. Uh, Esau and Jacob is also a good pair. I yeah. Because neither, neither one of them was particularly, quote, good, unquote. But uh, one of them was hairy. Yes. And the other was, was smart. <laughs> mm -hmm. Very clever. And kind of a trickster. I think Jacob is a trickster figure in, in the Bible to some degree. And there's a few others as well. 
Isaac and Esau, I think, but I don't really know how they work. Or I got that wrong. Isaac and, and uh, Ishmael. Ishmael. Why did I forget right. that? Well, I, why I forgot it as well. I did not even know to call it up. <laughs> so, so, like, yeah. And um, in, in the story of Jacob and Esau, yeah, the brothers were kind of torn apart because Jacob was super clever and got Esau's inheritance, but they reconciled as well at the end. So, again, these, these brother pairs kind of go historically back. And I think the Yom Kippur ritual touches on that. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, it kind of, again, goats in some way can symbolize the, the Jewish people in this particular moment. So for for Matthew to come and kind of villainize the goat, it's just, it's mean mean spirited, I'd say, a little bit. Well, I will throw this out there and then you can continue with what you're saying and I, I can come back to this, but I have I found a different take on the Matthew sheep and goat separation story. Oh. That is very interesting and I, I actually like it way better. Okay. Is it nicer to the goats? Oh, yeah. Oh, rock on Chicago. Uh-huh. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, I don't, did Jamin, did you have something to continue with what Jacob uh, was saying? I was going to explore the dualism thing further. It's like, can we find a pair? Can we, pi- uh, can we find a pair which is not dualistic? Um, Raven and Dove and Noah's Ark. Hmm. One black, one white? But- and the... The raven, the dove succeeded, but the raven didn't. But it's not really dualistic. It's just a thing that happened. But it's almost like because it was white and pure, it succeeded. And because it was black, it didn't. Right. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm yeah. saying like this may be my inherent dualism trying to identify things. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. I just don't think that they're necessarily a binary thing. Mm. They're not opposed. They just had different, different directions in life. One. Okay. That, that's a good one. The animals came on the ark two by two. Uh, yeah, mostly. What about and rams and goats? I honestly, mm. a part of me doesn't really know the difference. So I'm not, I think, I just see, okay, so there are a lot of cultural differences between rams and goats within their own cultures. <laughs> within um, the And a lot of assumptions of- about them. Okay. So... Rams, okay, so rams to me are just like, yeah, they're, we should look this up, but in my mind, they're kind of uh, very uh, stately goats, really, with a big horn. Yeah. Yeah. So, goats plus one. Goats plus one. But there's a lot of rams honorable, goats not. Ah. And so, and this is because goats wear shame, as in the scapegoating. Hmm. Ritual. Um, Harsh. That must be later. It's, I mean, this shows up in, in the, I've seen, I saw it a few places in my research and specifically in this one piece that I read about the, um, maybe Matthew should be read differently, but uh, rams are also, so goats are seen as libidinous also because, and this is specifically billy goats. We're talking about billy goats here. So billy goats in particular, they do not defend their mate. So if another goat comes along and, you know, wants to do it with their mate, they're like, sure, fine. But rams will defend their mates and protect their mate's honor. (laughs) There's a lot of mythology, specifically like, you know, if you think about Aries versus Capricorn, 
even though Aries is supposed to like naturally be kind of more anxious and stubborn and things like that, there's still this association like, okay, so the ram is associated with gods like Zeus and, you know, the kind of more exalted gods, whereas the goat is associated and Capricorn associated with kind of lesser gods or lesser deities as well, like Loki, for example. So there's a, yeah, there's a lot of distinction between rams and goats in that way and sort of their like rams are seen as kind of these upstanding proud and these creatures without blemish that will hmm. defend their the honor of their mates and there's something else about oh yeah 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 so also there's a male female thing going on here because even though billy goats billy they still like encompass the female within that category and so billy goats are also seen as effeminate because okay. of milk. And But they ha- that's weird because they have beards. Yes. And they're so cloth. they're kind of like ambiguously sexual as well. And so rams are like definitely That is so arbitrary because like all anim- all mammals the the lady mammals have milk. Like- yes, and this is the <laughs> because none of this is arbitrary except for this one thing. <laughs> But no, this is just what I saw. I found it really interesting that they do tend to be put in opposition to one another. Hmm. I got to say, because rams, rams are super gay. Rams are, yeah. But I think they I thought billy goats were the boy goats. You can't have girl billy goats. Well, they're like, you know, the, just the category of like small domestic goats. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and huh. I mean, again, this is not science. This is lore. Okay. <laughs> okay. Lore. That yeah. helps. That helps. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. it was okay. Billy, Billy Goat's gruff mm-hmm. was grim, right? Yeah, that was mm-hmm. Germanic fablery, right? Were they Billy Goats in Germany? Was this a different word which got which got slidden into English the wrong way? Like were they actually Billy Goats and they were you know cheap goats gruff? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I forgot what the German word for goat is. Uh, Zeichenbach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can talk. Mm-hmm. But I don't um, know. Yeah. It could just be a translation thing. Yeah. I think that's just a translation thing. Mm-hmm. But that story exists because goats are kind of clever and willful and fight. Like right. that's that's kind of featuring those those traits of goat. There is another like grim goat story that I think is relevant. And that is God's animals and the devil's animals. Mm. So. Oh, yeah, story, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The story in this one is that God created um, wolves. Which are dogs. Which are dogs. <laughs> and sometimes crabs. <laughs> sometimes crabs. And the devil created goats. And I don't think I've heard this one. And I've I read a lot of Grimm. Although there was a lot of Grimm. So in the story, the Lord's animals and the devil's animals, the devil created goats, and then he had they had lovely long tails, and they get caught up in the bramble a lot, and he got frustrated and bit off their tails, so that. Um, and then they went out to, went out to pasture some more and God challenged the devil somehow to like clean all the leaves off the trees or something. And he set his goats to do it. I really not, I wasn't paying too much attention in, in school when they told this story. Uh, and at the end of it, the trees leaves were growing back before the devil, the goats could eat them. So the devil got just very angry and pulled out all the goats eyes. No, uh, that's not the goat's fault. And, and replaced them with his own. 
Oh, oh that's why I go to beady little eyes. Right, oh, right, right. And also, eyes. Eyes. yeah, and it's also why why he tends to take the shape of goats when he can. Uh-huh. But sheep also have those eyes. Well, yes. <laughs> I don't know what your point is. <laughs> well, isn't it? That they ha- okay. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, the the scientific explanation for why their eyes are like that is because you know we we have uh, every animal's eye is unique to what field of vision is important to them. Right. So, pre- you know, and where your eyes are on your head also designate, like, are you predator or prey? And what are you, what, what is the important field of vision? What kind of vision do you need? So animals who have that kind of eye, what's important to them is a pl- like a wide plane a vision. Like they need to be able to see, have really wide peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. So, because they are... Because of buffets. And buffets. Like, you know, they, they are... The horizon <laughs> is, is very important to them, not only because that's where they get their food, they can see, you know, their pasture, but also because they are prey. And so, they need to have this vision that is very, this um, very wide field of vision. So, the, the Matthew 25 story, I think it's probably at the heart of an awful lot of anti-Semitism to come over the next... 2000 years or so you think <laughs> i think i think i think a little bit uh-huh. uh the story gets folded into believers and unbelievers and then inevitably it's kind of used as the jews are on the left hand side and christians are sheep on the right hand side mm-hmm. and just kind of these this non-believers are going to be disposed of in a horrible way and it just kind of rolls out from there as a lot of the kind of the goat elements in the jewish libel myth Mm -hmm. i I feel like a lot of it starts there there's more associations with like the goat and demons and the devil but like that feels very cornerstone to me i found kind of a different take on the matthew parable and um this is pretty i found it really interesting because well a of all this was written for a very specific audience Mm-hmm. Right. So this is a regional. This is very specific to particular regions and how right. they treated sheep versus goat in their animal husbandry because they would flock together in certain in certain parts of the world, uh, specifically in Syria and Palestine. You would have these mixed herds. Mm-hmm. However, oh, goats and, goats uh, goats and, and sheep. sheep. Goats. Yeah. So okay. they were they were mixed. So separating them actually was. A, a task, an agricultural, like a task that if you're, if you're a herder, you would occasionally have to separate the sheep from the goats because goats didn't have a thick enough coat to withstand cold weather. So, they would have to be mm. put inside. Okay. So, you would have to separate the two for practical reasons and to protect the goats. So, this is speaking to a particular region and their particular views on sheep and goats. But also there, you know, the wider Mediterranean, different cultures had different ideas about sheep versus goats. In some places, yeah, like sheep are seen as a clean animal um, that needed to be protected. So if, if a shepherd had sex, he would have to wash his hands before, you know, milking the sheep. Women tended goats because they were, they were more blemished. So they dealt with the goats. There's also yeah. a class issue. Um, well, it seems like sheep are generally just like the higher dollar value thing. Like if you invested in three years of, of livestock, the sheep mm-hmm. is going to have better, tastier meat, better fur. I don't know about sheep milk particularly, but they're just kind of... Do you uh, milk sheep? I assume... 
I don't know. I don't know, but I've um, never heard of anybody drinking sheep's milk. Maybe they do, but goat's milk, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. But but maybe they have longer legs. Uh, but yeah, they're but, kind of... Uh-huh. Yeah, they're they're higher. They're slightly higher status, and you know, part of that is they take more care. I think. Yeah, and they have, they're. Uh, I mean, goats can give a lot of milk and can make more goats, but sheep seem to be kind of a more a quickly renewable resource right. without I much mean, this, effort. The big selling points of goats are that they they can forage, they can survive on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they seem like a lot easier to care for in, in many ways, and that's like its own its own strong point. Mm-hmm. Talking about sort of the different regional understandings of sheep versus goats, it actually is kind of rare or it's not the norm more is to be neutral to totally fine with goats. I Yeah, I think that up till Matthew 25, that was probably kind of the case. Yes. Um, they have different ritual uses, but um, mm-hmm. I think culture was generally kind of okay with both. Like they were useful. Right. Yeah. So here's where the difference an understanding of the parable comes in. Mm-hmm. So, if you think about other parables in Matthew, say the one with the wise versus foolish virgins, mm-hmm. and the one of the talents, which involves a servant who is yeah, yeah um, all very very divisive parables. How and the key to these is that. They, the punishment or the separation, as it were, seems fairly arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And so, there's this surprise, like, okay, so I did not expect that these virgins who showed up at the bridegroom's house with oil were going to be turned away because they got the oil. So, this seems really arbitrary and you can't know when you're going to be separated or judged, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's one in there where a bunch of vineyard workers are getting coins and they like get $20 for a day's labor and then we're getting closer to deadline and the next group of laborers get $20 for six hours labor mm-hmm. and we got to clear the fields and the final ones get like $20 for an hour's labor. And I think that the underlying message is it's not fair. Right. Mm-hmm. So, that's interesting. Well, like hold if the that division, <laughs> I can't. Go it, on. It doesn't stop there. Oh. So we have this arbitrariness, this this being kind of surprised by the outcomes that seem, you know, they kind of do sort of go against our understanding of like good versus evil, like black and white. And also, again, they're not arbitrary. The the separation of the sheep and goats also seems fairly arbitrary, except it is more sort of visually clear. But these are not arbitrary punishments or they're not arbitrary outcomes. It's the same outcome. Well, hold on. So, the thing is, like, all the characters in these parables, including goats, are not necessarily good. They're not necessarily bad, but they do have a blemish. And that blemish is what's important because those seem very, very minor and forgivable. But the more those blemishes appear and the more you get lazy about them, that's why there's this separation. So, essentially, these minor blemishes are not forgivable in the eyes of God. The parable really isn't about like good versus evil, goats, evil, sheep, good. Everything is very black and white. It's essentially a message to Christians who are both sheep and goat to check themselves before they wreck themselves. <laughs> Don't get lazy and accept in thinking that, oh, that was a minor infraction. I'm going to be fine. No, <laughs> you have to be vigilant. You need to recognize that God's judgment is not as lax as your own judgment and not as forgiving. 
that's 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 useful yeah like the because the parable implies that sheep are charitable and giving and like make donations to the poor. I've never met a sheep that does that. You know, no. I haven't met goats that do that either. I think that what really hit me on that one is like if if we had this lesson early, it's like, hey, listen, we're all sheep and goats. You know, you have the ability to stay a sheep or you have the ability to fall off the beaten path and become a goat, right? It's it's not like this is a predestined thing. It's a you it's your choice to be a sheep or a goat. Right. Yeah. So it involves mm. some free will. Like you have control over whether or not you fix these blemishes within yourself and how you, you judge those blemishes within yourself. And you need to look at those blemishes with eye towards God's judgment, not your own kind of laziness. Yeah. It sort of has a very interesting level of free will, especially for an animal like a goat who does have uh, a fair, you know, fair amount of free will, yeah. Exactly, compared to a sheep, uh, you know, in, in folklore. I, I, I kind of feel like with, with a legacy of like a, a trickster ancestor and being a wilderness people wandering and trying to find their home and being exiled over and over again, like the, the connection of the Jewish faith and goats is probably fairly strong. Mm-hmm. Like it, it seems like I mean they're both they're both livestock and they're both you know great livestock and both occur in scripture but it just feels like as a people like the goat is 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 maybe a strong totem animal in some ways mm. it's kind of I think Matthew twenty five is unfortunate because it stigmatizes goats and then creates a really dark connection between the Jewish people and goats that just like leads into anti-Semitism for the next 2,000 years. But that's just a, you know, that's a reading because, you know, there are so many, just like what I just said, like that's an alternative reading. So, it's how you choose to read that parable, right? And so, unfortunately, Christians have chosen to read it as something that allows for anti-Semitism. Yeah, right. You know, if you think about the scapegoat, that actually fits into this kind of different model of the parable because... Neither goat is good nor bad. It's just that this one is carrying, like, is more blemished, right? And so, in some ways, it's redeemed through the action of it becoming the the bearer of the shame of the people. So it's kind of exalted in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Good. 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 Good service. Hmm. Thank you for listening to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> TED talk hands. So, where do we want to go now? So, kind of an antecedent to the Yom Kippur ritual might be uh, ancient Syria, like 2000-ish, 2500-ish BC. Uh, This is another kind of Mesopotamian region, kingdom. And they had a a tradition of, maybe it started off as like a sacred marriage between Tammuz and Inanna, the fertility uh, shepherd god and fertility agriculture goddess or love goddess. And in Syria, like the king's wedding, either the king's wedding symbolized that or the king ritually married Inanna at some point in time. But regardless, there was a goat tradition there that may have kind of been the origin of the the Yom Kippur goat. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And during the king's wedding, a goat was driven into the wasteland as sort of a cleansing elimination ritual. And she was like decorated with with jewelry and things like that and um silver jewelry silver jewelry so like this is a place where kind of the goat carried uncleanliness away as part of the ritual mm, mm-hmm. and also i mean they were used uh there was a medicinal 
scapegoat ritual where huh. the, the goat would also be the patient who was suffering from particular ailments would hold a goat to transfer their illness to the goat. And then mm-hmm. again, that goat would be uh, let go into the wasteland. Yeah. So, Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Goat, goats as carriers of the bad seems right. to be. Well, they can, they can survive and run with it. Like the sheep's going to just stand there and look at you funny. Yeah, that's so right. Look and, up in the rain and drown the goats. And, in order to run away, right, and yeah, it's also run. like the pathologizing of sin as mm. a condition that's transferable, transmissible. Yes. So we we kind of go forward a little bit into um, the demonology of the wilderness, where uh, various animals were described as having kind of demonic an- elements, like ostriches, hyenas, uh, goats, owls, bats. All of these things were kind of both wilderness animals and uh, demons. But the goat kind of transcends both categories because it's an animal that lives with us and is a wilderness animal yeah. as well. So it's it, it's able to move between these two worlds, like a kind of psychopompy almost, but not really. Mm, um, mm-hmm. Maybe because it bridges these worlds, the goat was one of the more standard demon types. Like the entire category of what would become like demons in the Greek translation, the Shedim, Shayim, Shedar, uh, are described as goat demons and uh, or hairy goat demons, and it kind of leads to fawns later on. Not the Happy Days character, but F A F A U N S. The Greek goat, the happy go lucky dancey party, and also slightly steal your children. Yeah, it kind of does both. So there's a, the, the demonizing or, or demons having goat elements is a fairly strong thing. And in the Yom Kippur ritual, which may or may not associate a goat with Azazel, who may or may not be the demon of the wilderness. I think we see this kind of thread going forward. This is likely where a lot of the devil has goat symbolism associated with it also comes from. Because there is a good tradition of demon goats and goat demons. It goes back a very long way. But also mean associations with fertility and the renewal of the seasons. Yes. Yes. And Mm -hmm. see, that's kind of... this, This takes two or three different thoughts we've had. One is the... The fertility, the other is the dualism. And we've talked about it before. It's like ancient Middle East wasn't always monotheistic. It was very much pantheistic. And there was a pantheon, yeah. which got, got narrowed down. Whereas kind of the North, the Greek and the Northern tribes had their pantheon, which never actually got narrowed down, right? Mm-hmm. And so in one world... You have a bunch of people, all who were the same, and eventually one got good and the rest got vilified. And then the other pantheon, everyone's still just a regular old dude. And the horny goat dude is just one more horny goat dude. Right. right. And, and all the pagan associations with goats did not help it, did not help the species when they kind of moved into the like post-Christian world. Because obviously anything that any pagan associations at all, and goats did- um, also, they you know, it's still part of a Jewish ritual. Yeah, um, that made them demonized all the more uh, in in like post Christian world. But if you're a pagan, then it's just normal. It's not like the word pagan means other, unless you're a non pagan. And also, I mean, everybody was pagan at one point. I mean, you know, <laughs> kind of. 
Uh huh. So it's yeah, but it is interesting because we do have almost sort of this the the you know a split where we've got kind of the you've got the sort of pan like figures that are associated with fertility and fecundity and the changes of the season and you know the kind of a wild man and then you've got the ones that sort of go to the go to Mendez Baphomet realm of things right. and you know and witches sabbaths and things like that and so you know and they, and they they it's not as if they continue apart from each other they kind of kind of come and hit mm-hmm. and then separate again and come and hit and separate again and they become yeah like a crossovers but they but there are sort of two particular trajectories yeah very much so and I'll, I'll go back to greek and i'll go back a thousand years before where were we i'll go back to 1100 homer right homer the odyssey of the iliad great story it was all kinds of fun there were some goatish figures there was uh what was his name melanthios who was the goatish goat herd who did mm, goat, mm-hmm. goaty things to the hero, but he was an antagonist, not an evil character, right? I'm a goat, I'm a goaty person, and I'm just kind of an overall jerk. But I'm mm-hmm. not the bad guy. Right. Like Pan. Like Pan. Mm-hmm. Not, not a bad guy, just kind of all of the... Th- and Dionys- you know, sort of Dionysian figures, right? And Loki, you know, sort of these kind of chaotic, true, true like chaotic neutrals. That's it. Goats are chaotic neutrals. End of story. Goats are chaotic neutrals. <laughs> <laughs> on, on the list of, of demonic goats, the uh, Dybbuk ranks pretty high. Oh, um, mm-hmm. right. When it, when it was a demon or when it was the ghost of the dead, it's described as being quite goaty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for reasons I'm not really sure, uh, Beelzebub is also described as having a goat form. Yeah. Uh, Maybe that's a ball as ram thing. I don't yeah. know what ball sacred animals are. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, yeah, why? That's sort of the go-to, the go-to uh, for bad things, having hairy legs, hooves, and horns, yeah. and strange well, eyes. A sort of positive negative thing I, I, I read about Amalthea, the goat, kind of feeding mm-hmm. Zeus. Yep, yep, yep. And like being, being Zeus's uh, milkmaid. Or nursemaid, and um, also goats were sacred to Marduk, who's among yep. other things a kingship god, but he's also a god of magic. Mm-hmm. And these things kind of fed into a little bit into goats having kind of a sorceress, creepy element that definitely carries through late Middle Ages Germany. Can we talk about Capricorn? Because that fits the both. Sign? Of the, it's a, it's a well the the figure the actual Capricorn because both of those figures that you just mentioned are associated with the creation of the constellation Capricorn and the the actual representation of I think it's Inky is sometimes is often depicted as uh having as a fish goat. Yeah, mm-hmm. fish goat is like a really weirdly important Mesopotamian motif. Right, so that becomes I mean there's some stories about um, what is it a keep wanting to call her Amalfi there's some belief that um, Am- Amalthea was thrown into the sky to become Capricorn, but she actually, in some scholars believe she came, she became another constellation. It's Inky, and that that kind of goat fish that became Capricorn, the constellation. Okay, can you set me straight? I will tell you a thing, and then you'll tell me why I'm wrong. Okay, or what I don't know. I thought Capricorn was the goat. Aries is the goat goat. So what is Capricorn? 
Capricorn. Yeah, fish goat. Head, upper body of a goat, bottom, bottom body. It's, it's all, (laughs) it's goat, goat, goat in the front, fish party in the rear. Okay. Aries is is the ram, not the goat. Right. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. We promise we get those confused. Exactly. Oh. Second. Uh huh. Okay. So I hadn't thought about it, but once you break it down, it's very, very simple. Capra is the Latin for goat, Mm -hmm. and corn is horn. So it's goat horn, right? Yeah. And we see like kernos, carrot, corn, horn, all of these roots. We've talked about corn a lot. And there's kernanos, same root, the horny one, right? Yep. So why is Capricorn, goat horn, what it is? I don't know. I was wondering the same thing. And What's, what's fish? P- Pisces, right? Pisque, pesque. Yeah. So, so a lot of astrology is kind of rooted in Mesopotamian origins and Egyptian origins. And like fish goat was a thing. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a, a Pokemon that everybody had caught Fishco. at that point in time. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, I was going to say, oh, and, and also horns and goats goes back to the fertility thing. Cornucopia associated right, cornucopia, with right. plenty and with abundance. So but I always thought that that was part of it too, potentially. But it's almost like it's almost redundant because you can't have a goat without horns. So it's not like you can say a Capricorn is a horned goat horn. You can, I, I don't know. Oh. Yeah, it is It is interesting that, but maybe the fish is less important here. Maybe it's like the fish is assumed. The important part is the goat goat. The fish isn't even <laughs> mentioned. It's not the pisicorn. No. Wiki, Wiki suggests that the etymology is not goat horn. It's horned like a goat. Mm. So oh. it's a, a, a fish that has goat horns. So is a snail hmm. then a Capricorn? <laughs> no, a snail is a wolf. And a crap by the transitive properties. <laughs> so let's take this story of goats to the Middle Ages. And I feel <clears throat> like I should, I'll begin with the thoughts of Isidore of Seville, saying the goat is a lascivious animal. It likes to butt heads and is always ready to mate. Because of its lust, its eyes are slanted, and the nature of goats is so hot their blood can dissolve diamonds. Wow. Huh. So <laughs> who tested that out? I um a lot of people hey, like Jim, let me see your diamond real quick. Watch this. <laughs> Hold my beer. Hold my beer and watch this. I think the the devil the devilization of goats has gone pretty far by the late Middle Ages. They're very firmly associated with the, the demonic or the pagan, which is in, in, in Christian land, the, the demonic. Mm-hmm. And this plays very heavily into the nightmare that would come from the Reformation, the, the witch trials. Yeah, this is just throwing something out there that I don't have any basis for, but I did, and I didn't, I should have followed up on this, but maybe for next time. But there is also, there's some scholars who are sort of pushing back against a straight trajectory between pagan, like goats and paganism and witchcraft because... They, there was a skip there where paganism wasn't really like a threat anymore. Instead, mm. it was, you know, any religion that was, you know, counter or any belief system that was counter to Catholicism or to Protestantism. So the goat thing was kind of manufactured, probably like hearkening back to the anti-Semitic idea of the goat. 
this is something yeah. that I saw, did not follow up on, throwing it out well, there. Well, it's, it's the, there's a thread through uh, the, the Goat of Mendez yep, and yep, Bahamut yep. that we'll mm-hmm. pick up later where goats are kind of tied into the history of uh, de- devilry and, oh gosh, not schism, what's the word? Heresy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I, was trying to fr- I was trying to link it back to what I was saying before, uh, to heresy. But I feel like any argument that's like, well, the, the ideas of the Sabbath are rooted in X, Y, Z, all the way through R, are just kind of nonsensical because the entire like witch hunt was just this weird fever dream mm-hmm. of like scraps going all the way back to like 200 BC or so, just thrown together in a bowl. Yeah. Yeah. You do the thing and then you find a reason for it later. Right. right, right, right. So the goat becomes kind of one of the central symbols in the witch's Sabbath, probably because like black goats or goats in general were considered familiar animals because they're willful little beasts that are domestic, mm-hmm. same as cats. I, I, I want to talk about Leonard here at some point in time. We'll probably get there. Okay. But the, uh, the center of the evolved witchcraft hypothesis kind of is that witches fly in on brooms, fornicate with the devil who usually takes the form of a black goat, but not necessarily, and then drink or partake in unbaptized baby broth, Mm. and then Mm. from there get the power to spread black magic throughout the world. Yeah. I love that Goya painting of the black goat with like the crown of feathers sitting amongst all the witches. It's just such a like... Yeah, he's so elegant. It's such a... like. It seems like a very happy, pretty scene. Oh, (laughs) yeah. No, seriously. Not what we're supposed to think, but I love that painting. The goat goat had some names. The Sabbath goat in particular. He was called the Bachelor. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Uh, That tends to be uh, the name of Satan in his role as... Male goat that sleeps with witches. We're probably going to say goat sleeps with witches a lot. So just assume uh-huh. that. But beyond that, there is Leonard, who is uh, the Gasp. yes, the he is also the black goat of the Sabbath, uh, Master Leonard. All hail uh, Leonard. We need to yes. all three say that at once. <laughs> hail Leonard. Wait, I messed up. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Too late. So Le- Leonard, Leonard is a three horned black goat with the head of a fox or a man. He presides over the witches' Sabbath. Uh, he's kind of like a nerd the rest of the time, apparently. But during the Sabbath, he's like really the man. He can shapeshift in all sorts of different things, including a tree trunk with a sad face. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, this is that's what I'm going Marty to Halloween Croft. this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like part um, of Lidsville. Um, yeah. He has a couple of different names. Uh, one that I hadn't heard of was uh, Urian. Oh. And... Uh, looking for goat urian on Google. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! Is, is tricky. Mm-hmm. But have you ever seen the picture of like the green goat demon with the face on his butt, holding up a scroll to the bishop? Yes. Mm-hmm. This that is urian. Uh, I think trying to manufacture a cathedral for that particular bishop uh, as one of his like funny little miracle stories. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's another name for uh, for Leonard that I hadn't really been familiar with. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's what it, the one that we often say is it's uh, Lucifuge. Lucifuge. Yeah, Lucif- Rockf- Rockf- Rockfell. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. who, who's kind of the master of pacts mm-hmm. and kind of very parallel thing there. And those are both kind of from the this witch hunt Germanish area. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And uh, I feel like yeah, he may. Well, I guess he's not really associated with. 
Or is there is there a connection to the Gota Mendez and Baphomet? I don't know. Uh, I do Ooh. know that according to Brewer's Guide of Phrase and Fable, which mm-hmm. is a fairly biased source, the Gota Mendez is another name for Leonard. But mm-hmm. I think the, the Gota Mendez is kind of just a religious pagan, like fictional slight that just carries through the years. Mm-hmm. So I want to take a moment to talk about the uh, connection between yes. yes unbaptized babies and goats oh but I have oh, to this is like this is like the Holy Grail here it really is like I don't know I don't know if we can I don't, I don't know our, our work here may be done but I need to call <laughs> up, I need to call up a document really quickly here um, to help me and podcast 70 episodes <laughs> that's right that's it we're done here pack it in boys. So now I wonder if there's a connection between Leonard and Buer because both are Sagittarius demons. Oh. Why? So when you say Sagittarius demon, what does that mean? What's this? They're both, they're both in the sign of Sagittarius. Um, I mean, there's, a hundred, there's like 30,000 demons and only 12 astrological signs. So oh, okay. what are the odds? So I need to, this may be another episode to like, look at that. Cause I'm curious. Cause I did not really know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in particular, like the Guesha are very tied to astrology and the signs, things like that. Uh, the number 72 is also very tied to the 12 signs. Oh, okay. Okay. So are you ready for this? Shoot. I, I honestly, I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the... Smurdaki? No. <laughs> Hold on to your hats. So, the Smurdaki, and I may be pronouncing it incorrectly, they're Greek demons of the goat herd. Okay. So, okay. let me tell you a little bit about the Smurdaki. Okay? So, sure. we've got, you know, you've got your pans, you've got your satyrs, you've got all these figures, but the Smurdaki have, have a special place in Greek mythology. There's a lot of different names, uh, that are associated with them, lots of them are kind of plays, uh, like sound a lot like Shmerdaki, but with different spellings, like with C-H, like Shamurdaki. There's also ones that are with general ideas, um, like Demonio, uh, Eidolon, um, euphemistic names that, you know, words that mean like the Sweden one, the one that's not to be mentioned or thought of, the uh, desert causing, and the stinky nasty. And sometimes they're just called by regular Greek names like Phintus or Colette. So the name itself comes from Chamai or on the ground and Dracos, which is unchristened or exposed infant. Okay. Mm-hmm. One more time. Dracos or exposed infant. Yeah. Now, so Chamadraki, that word, which is also oh, pronounced Shmardaki. That's the two words. Yeah. Uh, comes okay. from Chamai, the ground, and Dracos, the unchristened or exposed infant. In um, Byzantine times, the term Camerderon, which means found, exposed, deserted on the ground, is mm-hmm. used for the same concept. But the Greek Orthodox Church considers un- the unbaptized dead infants or children as tainted with the sin of the first created human beings, Adam and Eve, and therefore it is impossible for them to be admitted to paradise. So we know they have the same beliefs about, we've talked about unbaptized babies holding the sin from Adam and Eve. 
Right. Little little sin vessels. Mm-hmm. So the belief is that these children... I feel is the case of baptized babies as well, having... <laughs> it's true. Done a lot Have, of babysitting. Yes, you've been almost killed by one. Um, so then children who are born out of wedlock become the Smyrdekai, or demons that destroy the herds. And they uh, are terrible, destructive, and bad. The description, the, the adjective smerdos also applies to the offspring of a person of two different races or two different nationalities. So you've got oh. like essentially miscegenation and unsanctioned birth, right? Well, and foreign slash wilderness slash demonization oh, is yeah. a pretty, pretty strong mythic thread uh-huh. there. Huh. So it's the other. Yes. It's typically male-born bastards, as it's called in this article, Becomes the shepherd's demon, which is kind of associated somewhat with Pan, because this is very sexualized demon as well. So, mm-hmm. not only do sort of bastard children, unbaptized infants, become Smirdaki, but um, or Smirdaki, but anyone, any baby that bore that is um, not baptized and dies within the twelve days from the birth of Christ to his baptism become demons. And these are like goatee demons. Goatee demons. They become these goatee demons demons that that attack, that are are a plague on herds of fellow goats and sheep. So it's it's believed that these demons also are, um, they originate in places where infants born out of wedlock were exposed or buried, and also where unbaptized babies were buried. Yeah, and and, and exposed is kind of, Code for a, a, an abortion. Yes, thing. Like exactly. They were deliberately left out in 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 the prairie, which is a, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, this article also refers to there's a lot of uh, these demons copulating with various animals in uh, kind of unproductive sex. Essentially, that is referred to as an abortion. Uh, uh. Yeah, it's a very weird uh. use of the term abortion, but it's referred to it in this article. I'm not Googling for this. No, no, it's no, 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 no. Um, So sometimes this demon uh, looks like a man whose body is covered in hair from head to toe, or as a ram, here we go, with black patches on his forehead. Sometimes it's of a hunting dog or small dog, specifically a red dog. Sometimes it is a he-goat, a red he-goat. Sometimes hairy infants or children, uh, roughly about 40 days uh, with uh, hair and teeth and spitting fire. But a lot of the, they hear the cries of what could be an infant or it could be a goat because they sound very, very similar. So Mm. that is the indication that one of these demons is nearby. It usually takes uh, the shape of the animal that is going to be attacked, which is typically like a bull or a ram. They go after cattles and rams, but they don't go after fellow goats. Okay. Yes. So probably they, because it's too difficult. And also because there's this whole like, you know, miscegenation idea, right? Like that's an abomination. So why would mm. a demon goat copulate with a goat? It has to copulate with something that is not of its kind, right? And sometimes they will try to copulate with humans or they will at least attack humans as well. But humans rarely mm. die, animals always die. But you're not supposed to eat any animal that is killed by this demon. There's several different ways to get rid of them, including holy water. Sometimes you have to have three priests come in and um, bring in a holy chalice and a Eucharist and 
they need to perform a mass. Sometimes you also just move your herd, but you pass it through a village so that all of the taint goes into the village and off of your... Well, that's, that's the other way around. <laughs> yeah. That's Which, the reversing of shame. Exactly, We're taking yes. the shame off. Uh-huh. Do you tell the village before you move your goats? You just, like, pick a village. So, you do this secretly, but if you're found out, you will be killed. <laughs> yeah. Did you just bring your goats through my town? Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, there's also a poultice that some herders will use to protect their ewes. And this is made from old discarded shoes from exhumed bodies, as well as horns of goats, hair clipped off the tail and glutal regions of goats. And then they add pitch. They make it, uh, they burn them all into ashes and they rub the mixture of this kind of burnt doughy goo onto the genital regions of the ewes. And supposedly the smell keeps the Murdaki away. Well, keeps mm. everything away. Mm-hmm. I imagine so. So, what do you think the real life explanation of all this is? I thought that was, yeah, very logical as you presented it. Uh huh. Do, what do you think this, uh, a lot of scholars think this actually is? Well, there was a lot of very heavy baggage weight around getting rid of infants. Okay. So, no, 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 no. Yes, there's a lot of like getting rid of infants. <laughs> What happens to unbaptized babies is kind of collective guilt, perhaps, about Mm. dispensing with infants. So they needed to be dispensed with because they're going to, you know, like they're demonic and they will come back to get you. So it's kind of like this weird trauma response, potentially. Also miscegenation and othering, definitely. Yeah. However, I got this article from a medical journal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> ah. do go do go on yes so uh well it is actually sorry i lied it's from a folklore journal but it is uh yes. I, okay. they're very similar very no. similar treaties less less on the edge of my seat now no but uh so i will this is from this is from a journal of folklore however this was written by a medical doctor uh, at the medical school at the University of California. Okay. So, what is the secret? They believe the dead animals have every indication of anthrax. Oh. So, it's explaining an early explanation of anthrax. Oh, oh okay. Because anthrax that- is just a natural poison that lives in grass. And if you eat too much of it, you die. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if your goat eats anthrax and dies, you don't want to eat that goat. That goat is not edible because it's full of anthrax. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's this, without knowing it's anthrax, you kind of, people knew it was, they knew not to eat it. Yeah. And they knew it was yeah. this transmissible thing, right? And there's also kind of this plague response of creating this poultice, a smelly poultice to ward it away, right? So, mm-hmm. uh and this is an article from 1945, ergo the kind of weird language of it. But when I got to the end and I saw that, that this was associated with a medical school, <laughs> I was like, this is super interesting because it's this intersection of folklore and medicine. Did you know that goats whisper in priests' ears? I've heard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do they this say? Is, this is- uh, sexy things, <laughs> as, I, as I understand it, because goats are so such sleazeballs that they sneak up into priests' 
I guess, quarters mm-hmm. and whisper lewd things into the ears of, well, priests and saints. So saints mostly. So goats are out there tempting saints mm. by whispering in their ears naughty things. I feel like if you're imagining a goat is whispering all these things to you, you want a goat to be whispering all of these things to you. Goats don't whisper, they scream. <laughs> I was going to try to do a, a goat screaming, sexy thanks, oh, but sexy I could imagine, imagine one like whispering like with the voice of Barry White. <laughs> now I want to hear Barry White screaming. <laughs> what if it whispered things in the voice of Martha Stewart? I think we've already had that happen once today. <laughs> so, so Smurdaki, that yes. is the connection between demon goats and unbaptized babies. Interesting. So where do we go from here? Oh, I, I do have, I found some, I found a critter that I've never heard of before. And, okay. And it's from a region. Well, I guess we, mm, we scored, mm, we may have kind of briefly touched on the Basque region for, we touched uh, on Spain a little bit in our Celtic world. Yeah. Discussion. All, all critter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, and we've talked about not, some Spanish not, critters before and critter. But not in a goat, not in a goat specific context. No. So it's, um, Ockerbelts. A-K-E-R-B-E-L-T-Z. And it's a Basque name that means the black goat. So it is an ancient Basque deity who protects animals in the land. Um, wait, wait, wait. This is a positive black goat. Right now. Oh, <laughs> At this right? very okay, moment. Never, never mind. Yeah, so okay, actually go. this kind of, because I wanted to touch on Kernanos very quickly too, because Kernanos is behind me. But So we haven't really talked about the goats that are associated with Pan, and, you know, uh, fertility and the um, changes in the seasons and the rejuvenation that comes with spring. Um, we're going to talk about Pan in more detail in another episode, but I wanted to talk about at least uh, two key figures here, Kernanos and Acrobelts. And Acrobelts is one that I hadn't heard of before. It's a Basque figure, a black goat in particular. Generally negative. No, <laughs> actually... This is a good goat, at least for now. Okay? okay. So this is a deity who protected animals and the land. So, of course, acker means billy goat, talking going back to billy goats, and belts means black. Again, this is a deity that was worshipped by pre-Christian Basques, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the worship is documented from pre-Roman times. Huh. But acrobelts is a popular folk spirit. Um, he's often shown in processions, kind of like... The one from the Persian, the Persian figure that is, shows up in the New Year's Noritz celebration, Takam, who is another mm-hmm. figure of spring. And so very similar to that, figures into a lot of processions and folk gatherings. So he's uh, served by elves. And again, thanks to Christianity, this very happy goat associated with fertility and protection becomes associated with Satan. Right. Um, But before that, black goats were specifically prized as a way of avoiding disease. You know, I mentioned sort of the medicinal use of the scapegoat ritual. And you always had to make sure you had a black goat to protect all of your animals from disease. So again, after Christianity, acrobats started to become associated with, with witches' sabbaths. And he would 
lead the mass and create a perversion of the mass. Everybody would have lunch. There's a mention of delicious lunch. There's always going to be a delicious lunch that involves cannibalism. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. I was going to say that doesn't sound bad so I know, far. It's not like delicious manchego and some hummus or anything <laughs> like that. It's it's like, you know, babies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then they would have, an, they would drink a lot and then they would have an orgy. So this is also, this figure is also associated with Mari, who's the main character of Basque mythology. Again, that figure too, initially a very benign protective spirit became associated with evil and witches once Christianity came into the fold. So we had this lovely creature, all about protection, nature became a baddie in the eyes of Christianity. So briefly on Kernanos, because we've talked about Kernanos before as a figure of the underworld and the horned one, um, usually shown with antlers. But one of the things that I didn't know about Kernanos is that one of the, uh, one of the pieces of folklore about Kernanos is he actually dies every year to ensure that spring comes back. I think it's like, that's a, the, the, the sacrificial like grain king. Yeah. Corn god yeah the thing. Corn, that's, was it the corn god or? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's, I mean, it's a bit, a bit frasery, but like, yeah, I assume that most prey animals die. Mm-hmm. And so in, he, you know, goes down to the underworld, you know, to, to atone for, uh, you know, for our sins, <laughs> and then comes up from the from the soil every spring to ensure fertility. So we've again we've talked about Kernanos before, so I'm not going to go into all of the things associated with Kernanos, but there is a connection to goats. He was kind of given a second life in the 19th century when spiritualist movements were trying to revive pre-Christian European beliefs, and oh. He was, and the horn god became like a universal, yep. capital T, capital H. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Right. So uh, he has his newfound fame, uh, particularly to he can he can ascribe it to Margaret Murray's book, The God of the Witches. <sighs> he becomes kind of set as the God of the Witches in that book, and mm-hmm. this uh, the story says that he became this in pre-Christian time, and the worship continued in secret pockets throughout Europe. Um, <laughs> Since time immemorial last Thursday. Exactly. So highly problematic. Lots and lots of generalizations about, uh, you know, who Karenanos actually was or is. Despite that, that kind of stuck in the, tw- mm-hmm. in the 19th and 20th century. But also, right. It was a good, a good story. Yeah. And also he is, a, some scholars assume or uh, have kind of drawn a line between him because he's one of the, he's, one of the oldest Celtic gods or Celtic deities. So mm. he has, you know, like he's a very load bearing figure in Celtic mythology. Again, lots and lots of stuff has been, you know, a lot of that has been borrowed through different aspects of, of pop culture and spiritualism. But some scholars believe that again, with Pan, there's a direct line from him to the Knights Templar or what was ascribed to the Knights Templar that image of Baphomet. So um, mm-hmm. that's how he kind of becomes part of the satanic lore, despite the fact that he has nothing to do with it. Um, mm-hmm. And again, is just this figure of rebirth and renewal and nature and things. A lot of people have made arguments that there's a direct line between Pan and the devil, but there's so many connections that 
there is no direct line anywhere. There's just kind of the this numinous haze of goat. Mm-hmm. Numinous haze <laughs> of goat. I like that. We're going to write that one down. Well, maybe, yeah, when we have Liz on to talk about Pan, maybe she can help parse some of this out. Well, uh, I look forward to talking with her. She's always been so much fun to, to, to meet with. She was on our episode about Beetlejuice a few year ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's coming up soon. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we will see you in hell. And Ghost is going to take us out now. Yay! Yay! Bye. Bye. Adieu. This podcast is copyright 2023 by The Dispatchist and is Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. <laughs>